14. Uh, we're dealing with grace-based relationships. Uh, my name is Michael Smith. This is my, uh, my wife and bestie of besties, Connie. Uh, and uh, we're going to be taking you th on a journey today. And, uh, you know, we're, we, we, I see some young folks here, so we'll be sure to keep it. You know, my kids are here, uh, so uh, we'll keep it. You know, we'll talk about stuff, but we won't get too detailed into stuff. Although with my kids, I don't think it matters. They're like, whatever, we, we've heard it all uh, from you guys. So John 14, strange place to start in a family uh, meeting, but uh, this will be a good launching off point. Um, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. Uh, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If not, uh, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How then can we know the way? Jesus answered and said, well, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my father also. That's a key thing. If you had known me, you should have known my father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the father. And it suffices us. Just, just, just make God plain to us, he says. Make the father plain to us. And Jesus said unto him, have I been so long time with you, and yet have you not known me, Philip? Here it is. He that has seen me hath seen the Father. He that has seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Now, hold your place here if you would uh, in um, John and flip over to uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. I'm guessing the, uh, the scriptures are behind me or something. Everybody's looking at me like, I'm not turning in the Bible. I don't care what you say. It must be back there. I'm like, what is this? I said, what's wrong with this church? I said, look in the Bible. And they're like, <laughs> it's back there, right? It's behind me, isn't it? Okay. I was like, I was like sitting there thinking, this is the rudest people I've ever seen in my whole life. I said, let's read the Bible. You're not even making eye contact. It's behind me. I got it. All right. I'm new. I'm new. Uh, Hebrews 1. <laughs> that was so funny. Uh, I was going to say, bank, Sharon, what's going on? Man? What Hebrews 1, verse 3. Uh, who, and I don't know uh, whoever's on the ones and twos this morning, uh, we'll look at Amplified as well if, if you can track it down. So verse uh, in the King James, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when, we, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Uh, he's talking about Jesus here. And he says, Jesus is the brightness of his glory. Je the brightness of God's glory. Jesus is the express image of God's person. Glory to God. Amen. The Amplified Bible says uh, in verse 3, he is the sole expression of the glory of God. He is the light being. Jesus is the outraying or radiance of the divine. And here it is. He is the perfect imprint and very image of God's nature. One translation says, as you go back over to John 14, one translation says he's the carbon copy of God. The carbon copy of God. Yes. Now, um, 
I'm, I'm a little nervous because I don't want to undo everything in my first sentence, but here we go. Uh, it's part of my charm. Um, what makes the gospel extraordinary is that you cannot encounter its fullness on or, or through the written word. Um, this is not to make the word, the written word as though it's not important, it is. But all that is written cannot lead you into, cannot, uh, cannot provide you with the Christian experience. The Christian experience exists apart from um, apart from the written word. And, I, and I, I just, I'm trying to be careful. And, and what's written is really a description of that experience instead of the experience itself. We'll, we'll go a little bit farther. You cannot, there is no place you can search from Genesis all the way through the first 15 to 20 chapters of the book of Acts, you cannot read those verses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the way up in Acts 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, 13, 14. You cannot read that and understand what it means to be born again. I know this is hard. So I thought we were talking about family. We are. Um, you can read what happened in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but you, is that all my, am I just, dangling? I'm just, all right. yeah, I'm just oh, that's, that's later. I didn't think you were starting <laughs> early. All right. <laughs> I, told you there's kid, I told you there's kids present. What did I say before we came up? Keep your hands to yourself. We had this conversation. <laughs> Temptation is more than she can bear. I understand. I get it. I get it. I understand. I understand. I look in the mirror. I know what. I know what's happening. Anyway, um, you can you can see what happened in the gospel events, but you can't interpret it right without the revelation of Paul. If you ask Jesus in his earthly ministry how to get eternal life and you ask Peter in the book of Acts chapter 2 how to get eternal life, and you ask Paul how to get eternal life, those are three different answers. <laughs> what must I, good master, what must I do that I may inherit eternal life? You know the commandments. But yet in no church in any place on planet earth would we ever say to anyone, how many of you would like eternal life today? And they say, oh, yeah. You know, we do the thing, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around, nobody, nobody looking around. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around, you know. And, and I, used to, I used to fall for this every, every time. I, I got saved over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. I never went to church when I was little. My mom got born again when I was 15. My dad got born again right thereafter. Then, then I got born again shortly after that. And, and that was my first time in church. Uh, my mom was made to go to church for 18 years by her mom, and as soon as she turned 18, said, I'm never going back. Now, let me tell you, when your child says, I'm never going back, just, just 
just get a cup of coffee and wait because they're on their way back. So 18 years later, my mother ended up getting born again. And, and the only time I'd ever gone to church with my mother was the day, so, so my, my, my birth father drank himself up. He was out of my life right around between age one and two, one and a half. My mom was single for um, about eight, nine years. Then she got remarried. On her marriage, on her second marriage, was the first time we were ever in church together. And we walked in, and the little holy water at the back, it started boiling when, when we walked in. It, like, it just simmered. And the choir was rehearsing. And How great. And as soon as we walked in, they switched to that song from the omen. I mean, just right there. It's like the, the whole atmosphere. So we were in 15 minutes, and we were out. And that was the only time I went to church with her for another five years. So in 15 years of my life, almost 16 years of my life, I was only in church with my mom one time. So, um, but I used to get resaved all the time because when I finally got born again, I had no understanding. And, I, and I, I didn't understand Paul. I didn't understand the new covenant. I thought Christianity was an add-on to the Old Testament, and it is not. So if you were to say, so I went through this every Sunday, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. If you're here today and you don't know if you would die today, you'd bust hell wide open. If you're not sure you would die today and spend eternity with Jesus, if you don't want to go to hell, nobody looking around, every eye closed, raise your hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand in the back. Thank you in the balcony. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. And you think, okay, well, that was pretty easy. No, that's not, they're not done. Now, those of you, if you're serious, that just put your hands up. If you're serious and you're not afraid, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. This is between you and God, not between anybody else, you and God, only you and God. So I'm sitting there thinking, well, nobody else is going to know. I raised my hand. They say, if you're really serious, every head bowed, every eye closed, stand right where you are. Stand right where you are. I said, well, nobody's looking. I'll stand. Stand right where you are. Every head bowed, every I see you back there. I see you, young man. Thank you, young man. Thank you. I see you right there. I see you right there. You think, that's a pretty good deal. I'm setting it straight with God right here. But they don't leave it there, do they? Now, if you're serious, those of you that are standing right now, Step out of the closest aisle, come down to this altar right now. If you're serious, come down to this altar. Every head bow, every eye closed, every head bow, every eye closed. You think, well, I'll go down. And then as soon as you get down, they say to the rest of the congregation, congregation, look at all the people. (laughs) Man, we could have skipped all that. I see that hand that just had me, you know. (laughs) But if Apostle Bank was up here and said, okay, all of you want to be Christians, here's the key to eternal life. Keep God's commandments and you'll have eternal life. None of you believe that. As a matter of fact, we really don't even believe Peter. Acts chapter 2, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins, and you shall be saved. We don't, we don't really believe that. Because you and I both know that if Apostle Bank was given the altar call, Pastor Bank was given the altar call on a Sunday, and a dear gentleman on the back row stood up to respond to that altar call and died halfway to the altar. You and I all believe that if his heart was inclined to acknowledge the Lord, you, nobody would tell him, so, oh, man, you were 10 steps away from getting saved. Sorry about that, brother. Uh, man, you were so close. It, better sit on the third row next time. You might have made it all the way up here. No, none of you believe that. As a matter of fact, Peter does not find out until Acts chapter 10 that you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit before you're baptized in water. He's not even aware that you could be baptized. You, you, know you, can't get spo- you know you can't speak in tongues unless you're saved because the Bible says the unbeliever cannot receive him. So he sees these Gentile people speak in tongues and then afterwards goes, I guess we should get some water then. And it's not till Romans 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
So the, the gospel events occurred, but the gospel clarity and revelation comes through Paul. And Paul goes and preaches it to Peter. He preaches it to James. He preaches it to John. He said, when I preach, I did not get from a man. I was taught it directly by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul showed up at Peter's house, knock, 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 and told Peter about events that Paul was not present for. He's sitting at Peter's house and he goes, well, y'all remember that night when you were in the, uh, in the upper room and you took the bread and you broke it? Remember that? And Peter's like, yeah, how do you know that? He said, man, where do you think I've been for three years? Jesus has been teaching me by the Spirit what you were hindered in receiving by the flesh. And, and really, I'm, we're going to go another step further here. Jesus made it clear, there are a lot of things I have to tell you about what I'm really doing that you cannot handle. Yes. Ten years after Pentecost, they still did not know whether or not Gentiles could be saved. Fifteen years after Pentecost, they still did not know whether or not you had to be circumcised and keep the law. And they didn't figure it out by looking at Deuteronomy, Exodus, Leviticus. They figured it out when Paul came back from the desert and said, here is the gospel truth. Yes. And Paul was very contentious not to mingle the law and grace together. And we, we read the law and we have what is written, but, we are, but the Christian experience is not dependent on what is written because the Christian experience, Paul said, is a matter of faith which works by love. Circumcision won't help you. Uncircumcision won't help you. The new creature, the new birth that comes the day you believe what Jesus has done and the day you believe what God said about what Jesus has done, your faith instantly connects you with righteousness, instantly connects you with forgiveness, instantly connects you with justification. You're instantly made holy or instantly connects you to the new birth like, a, like those two paddles. God stands over you and rubs those paddles. Clear. And your dead spirit takes its first breath, it's, it's, it's been dead since, since, uh, since you were a child, <sighs> takes that first breath, and instantly you're recreated in the image, uh, in the knowledge, uh, renewed in knowledge after in the image of him that created you. You're like Adam was on the inside before he sinned, like Eve was on the inside before he sinned, like Jesus was on the inside his entire, uh, his entire life, uh, earthly life, and now you are holy, truly holy. Uh, 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 in righteousness, the Bible says you've been recreated in righteousness and true holiness, and instantly this holy you is now a fit temple for the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit sets up residence inside you and all of that happens the day you believe what Jesus has done and what God says about what Jesus has done. And now the immediate effect of that is the Holy Ghost moves in with this giant trunk, this steamer trunk full of all the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and timbers, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, a gift of faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, uh, prophecy, discern, I mean, all sets up inside you. The Bible says the love of God has been shed abroad in our heart, and the first thing that should come out of anybody that is, that is not, that has placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that miracle is activated, when you touch them, love is what seeps out of them. Yes. Paul says, when I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I knew it must have done something to you. And when I heard of your love, I knew it had really done what it was supposed to do. My spiritual dad tells a story. And we're going to get to Vanna White here in a minute. She's, she's doing good. She's, she's, she's just, I'm going to turn her loose in just a second. I'm laying the foundation and I'm going to sit down. Um, my spiritual father tells a story about they were doing baptisms um, on a Saturday morning. And... Uh, they had the baptismal tank and, you know, they get, they have all the white robes and, you know, give all the instructions what to wear under the white robes and blah, 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 blah. And so, uh, but they, they usually fill up the baptismal on a Friday and they have a heater in the baptismal and it warms up everything all day. Well, it, the heater was not working that particular uh, cold morning. 
And, but they had 400 people show up for baptism with no way of heating it, so they just went forward, and it was cold. But, you know, my pastor, a lot of things, I'm giving you inside secrets here. I probably shouldn't do this, but I'm giving you A lot of times, the, the preacher under the robe is in these rubber, like, wading fishing boots. So, you're, I mean, he, he, he or she's completely warm. I mean, toasty warm under all this stuff. You're up there suffering for the cross, you know, and they're, they're up there, you know, they, you know. But they got this long robe. You don't even know what's going on. So, my pastor was in the water. And one of the deacons is in the water, and they're baptizing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit was another name. And, it just, and, and, and just going through. And there's always, in every baptism, one super spiritual person. Always somebody who's expecting a dove to descend and all this other kind of stuff. And this dear sister, she came up. And, and, and she's walking up, and they knew when she was coming. And, and she, was, she was just, she was, and she got down to the water, and, and, and my pastor and the deacon, they took her arm, and they baptized you in the name of the Father. And they dropped her arm, and she came up and said, oh, beep, that water's cold. I mean, and, and yelled it through, through his microphone. It went out all throughout the auditorium. Family and kids and grandkids were all there. People, uh, old mothers of the church fainted in the back. I mean, it was terrible. And as soon as they brought her up, she said, oh, beep, this water's cold. The deacon looked at my pastor and said, you think we ought to take her down again? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if it took. Well, this is the idea that if you, have, if, you, if you have released your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and that new birth has occurred and the Holy Spirit dwells within but we don't see love. The question is, did you really encounter the Lord? Amen. John said it this way, a person that says they know God, but you don't see love dripping off their lives. You have to question, why? Because the knowledge of who God is leads to the understanding of his will. And here's the wild thing about it. You know, Paul, he asked the two most important questions uh, Saul of Tarsus in the history of humanity. He fell off the donkey, right, or on Damascus Road, and he asked Jesus' first question, what, who are you, Lord? Life's most important question, who is God? Yes. Question number two, and what would you have me to do? Yes. Who are you, Lord, and what would you have me to do? Those were essential. He prayed those two things. Every time he heard somebody got born again, he says in Ephesians 1, I prayed that God would open your eyes so you could come to see him, who he is, yes. and Colossians 1, that you would understand the knowledge of his will. Who are you, Lord, and, and what would you have me to do? And here's the miracle uh, uh, answer of all answers, is that who God is is love, and what God would have you to do is love. Now, why do we start with this concept? Because it is possible to be close to something, next to something, and, 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 and associate with something and never accurately perceive it. These people that follow John the Baptist around, I believe it's Matthew 11, Jesus says, what did you think you were looking at when you saw John? You think he was a prophet? You think he was a king? What, 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 did you, what did you think he was? Because perception. Perception is essential to your capacity to receive. Perception is essential to your capacity to connect. You remember the, the prophet uh, walked by the, the, the woman's house and she said, I perceive this is a man of God. It, it, it's just a guy until you perceive so they were all listening to John preaching the wilderness. He said, what did you think you were seeing? An additional prophet? Like just another in a long line? He tells you, he's not another in a long line. He's the last prophet that will come. Mm. Since him, 
everything has been fulfilled. I mean, he is, the, he is the doorway through which the old covenant closes and the new covenant concepts begin. And he says, what did you think you were seeing? Just another list of preachers? Or did you perceive it accurately? Because failure to perceive accurately will limit the capacity to fully receive. Now, I say all this to say this. <laughs> when we deal with relationships and we deal with family, much of our error starts from a wrong perception of God. Because we interpret marriage, parenting, um, being a sibling, being a father or a son, a mother or a daughter, a husband or a wife, through an old covenant lens. And you can hang around Jesus for three and a half years, eat with him, camp out with him, Go in the boat with him, city to city. And Philip had the nerve to say, okay, before you go, can you just show us the Father? And what did Jesus say? You've been right here, this close, the whole time, and never caught on that when you were looking at me, you were looking at God. Yeah. So here's, 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 here's where we'll launch off today, and then I'm going to just kind of see where you, what the Lord has given you. I looked at her notes. She said she had a bunch of notes. I get all my stuff off sermons.com. So, um, do you still have my login? You able to log in? Okay. Um, the old covenant will not teach. Looking at how God dealt with people before the sin of the world was addressed will not reveal to you who God is. And a lot of us are trying to take who Jesus showed us the Father was and mingle it with who the Father was and how the Father was. Doesn't God ever change? God never changes. But in the dispensation where the price for sin has been paid, his approach to mankind is different than it was before that sin was paid. And some of you are parenting and husbanding and, and, and relating to people based on Old Testament veiled understanding of who God is instead of who he is as revealed by Jesus. When we see Jesus, people were hassling children, and Jesus said, leave them children alone. When we see Jesus, they were hassling women, he says, leave her alone. When we see Jesus, they were competing as to who was the best and who would have the place of authority. And he says, if you want to understand who God is, it's not about being the top, it's not about being in charge, it's not about creating a tremble, it's about being so powerful in the spirit that demons scream when they see you, but so gentle that children run and jump into your arms. If you want to have a parenting, marriage, sibling, son, child, whatever relationship you want to have, you better make sure you're sourcing it out of the revelation of who God is based on Jesus instead of some backwards fallen hybrid version of who God is based on a covenant that does not work anymore. You know, ushers, um, was it time? No, 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 it's okay. my notes. Okay. Okay. Look, you can't flirt with me while we're no, here. I don't have pen and paper. Usually I have pen and paper to kind of write as he says something okay. jogs my thing. So. You are out of control this morning. Okay, I'll get you, I'll get you. She's like, yeah, you're cute. And okay, but you can't put, you're not putting it on the screen. Anyway, um, I lost it. What was I going to say? Ushers, thank you. How do you train your ushers is a key thing. When you have usher orientation, the basis that you give them will determine how they approach everything. 
Okay, welcome everybody. This is a usher meeting. All y'all want to be interested in ushers. Let's start with this. Let me start with this. Been here at this church a long time. Let me start right here. People are rebellious. Let's start right there. <laughs> it is our job to bring order into the house of God. First of all, let me start with this. Not only are people rebellious, they are liars. They will tell you they have no drinks, they got drinks. They will tell you they have no gum, they got gum, which is why we pat down going through every person coming through here. And they're going to come in here and they're going to try to run this church. We're not going to let them run this church. They will sit where we sit, where we tell them to sit, when we tell them to sit, if we allow them to sit. <laughs> Otherwise, they will stand. Next thing. We do not speak to them. We communicate with snaps. <laughs> when we want somebody to move, we snap and point. <laughs> Anybody moves during the service, telling you they got to go to the bathroom, tell them they should have done it in the car or they can <laughs> do it in their pants, but they will not hinder the anointing in this house. Next, children are a distraction to the Holy Spirit. A crying child will let the healing anointing leave the building because the Holy Spirit is so sensitive he cannot handle anyone under the age of 12. If you hear a crying child, your first job is to snatch it from the mother out the door. If she gives you any problem, the mother can follow. We will not allow rebellion to hinder what God wants to do in this church. Do you know when you tell people that, do you know how they approach every person coming through the door? They, they, everybody is an enemy. Everybody is. But what if we changed it and said, hey, listen, uh, ushers, do you realize how rough it is to live in this world? The traffic, the work, the drama, the TV, the negativity. Before pastor even opens his mouth, we're the first people that he encounters. And our job is to release the love. They're already having a hard day outside. As soon as they step foot on this property, they're going to encounter the love that they've never experienced before. You know what? <clears throat> um, you know, and I'm going to tell you this. Making your way in the world today, it takes everything you got. And taking a break from all your worries, it sure would help a lot. Because sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. That's a, that's a thing. That's a thing. And what are you doing? Now all of a sudden you've empowered an usher when, they, when you put them on the post, what? That, that, that when a person comes up, they approach them with, my job yes. is to release love on them. Amen. Whatever devils have harassed them, my job is to melt that stress and that torment that I'm the first line, that the parking lot is not just waving a flag and you're gonna park <laughs> here. No, 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 the parking lot is as soon as they step on this, this is the oasis that, is, that allows them to escape when you, when you start with that foundation, it determines their approach. Yes. Well, what happens when you start a marriage foundation wrong? Or a parenting foundation wrong? When you tell them children are to be managed instead of stewarded as gifts. Children need to learn real world stuff in this world. They're not going to be able to talk back to their boss. They're not going to be able to talk back. Sometimes life is tough, and it was tough when I was growing up, and they're going to learn it. And let me tell you, I was beat with an extension cord when I was little, and I turned out okay, and they're going to be okay too. Listen, just because you survive dysfunction doesn't mean you should perpetuate dysfunction. Okay. 
<laughs> yeah, my dad used to knock me out if I ever said something. I turned out okay on your third marriage. Second stint at rehab. Can't hold a job because you, you don't like to listen to anybody. You turned out okay. A lot of times we survive childhood because we had a wrong understanding. And, and a lot of times the church perpetuates the old covenant understanding of who God is instead of what Jesus showed us of the Father. I was having a board meeting at my house and my mom uh, was there um, and my daughter who was two or three ran through from her room down the hall, jumped over the couch, flipped over, did a cartwheel, grabbed snacks off the table, spun around, did some sort of Disney princess move, and, and, and ran out of the room. And, and, and I stopped the whole board meeting. I said, I said, hey, hey, come here, stop it. Get in your where you're supposed to sit, sit up. So, and my mother pipes up in the board meeting. Leave her alone. I said, what? She said, leave her alone. Let her be. I said, let her be? Do you know what you would have done to me when I was little? <laughs> you know, that's, that's back before they had timeout. I, I, I was raised under knockout, right? You know what I'm saying? A different thing. Do you know what you'd have done to me? And she said, yeah. And you know what? I wasn't saved. And she said, I was single and under stress. I was 24. I was barely hanging on. And I didn't understand that you had a right as a person to exist as well. I didn't understand how quick childhood would go by. I didn't understand that that was the time to protect you from all the ugliness of the real world and to let you enjoy that little season. And she said, I responded in anger and stress instead of, instead of responding from the peace of God. So please, she said, please let my hindsight become your foresight. Yeah. And, 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 and so instead of having to have so much corrected, you know, so, so, so what is this? This is now, well, now, forget how I grew up. Just because it was the way we were raised does not mean it's an accurate reflection of God's intention. Amen. I don't even know how to jump into that. Okay, so well, if I let may. Me get, let me get my notes. Okay. Um, before I kind of get into what I, where I was going to launch off, let me kind of comment on some of the things he said. He was talking about this perspective. If you're coming from the perspective of the old covenant, versus the new covenant. You know, in a crime scene or a, any sort of crime, they have witnesses come and they take witness statements Good. from somebody who may have been, you know, if it happened at a house, two doors down to the right, mm -hmm. someone across the street, someone maybe across the street that saw it out their upstairs window, because every view has a different perspective. And when we start off on the foot of the old covenant versus under the grace of the new covenant, we're going to see something completely different. And for so long, just because we didn't know, a lot of our relationships were built under the understanding of the old covenant, the way we, you know, raised our kids or, you know, whatever that was came from that perspective. But you know the difference from someone upstairs across the street seeing what happened and person two doors down on the opposite side, you're going to have a totally different perspective. So we need to shift and change our perspective under, under the grace of God and the new covenant teaching. And you think, okay, don't preachers know what they're talking about? How come they were teaching this? And that? 
It's an ever-evolving revelation from yeah. God. Yeah, and, clarity. you know, one of the things is we always say not to put things in pen because as God continues to churn his wisdom and give us greater revelation, we don't want to be stuck on what we knew 20 years ago. We should want to be evolving and becoming more and more like God and following his word more to the original intent that he had it rather than, you know, maybe some misteaching or wrong understanding that we had. Yeah, I was thinking um, two things you know, grandchildren, well, let me say this first. I'll come back to grandchildren. So um, I know you know uh, uh, Brother Tunde Bakari, yes? You know Brother Tunde? He told a fascinating story one time. He was meeting with Dr. Lester Summerall um, before Brother Summerall went home to be with the Lord. And he said, we were having this major apostolic conference, a, a private meeting uh, at the dinner table. We were talking about um, uh, plans for evangelism work and everything else. And he said, right in the middle of this meeting, Brother Summerall's kids burst through the door. Walked right up to the table. He said his son walked over, put his arm around his dad, kissed him on the head. The grandchild came up, just hopped in his lap. And Brother Tunde said, I'm sitting here meeting. We're talking about important stuff. And he said, this guy just stopped talking to me in the middle. We're talking about souls. And this guy stopped talking to me and started talking to his children. And he said, I have been preaching all over the world. Lives changed in meetings all over the world. And for the first time, I understood how far off my perspective of being a father is. He said, at my house, we stood by the table while my dad ate. And he said, and when he was finished, he said, if it was a good meal, it was a, a good night for my mother. If it was not, there was hell to pay. And when he was finished and done, then we sat. And he said, even though I was in Christ, I was perpetuating generational brokenness. Why? Because you can be close to something, preaching something, believing something, and really have no, you can be a Philip. You can be that close to it and say, but if you would just show us the Father, and he says, I am the carbon copy of who God is. Well, the second thing is, somebody said, what do I do if I've blown it? Well, you don't get in shame. Now you believe God for redemption. You know, people can give you back money, people can give you back land and property, but only God can restore years. And not only that, the blessing of grandchildren is the grand do-over, that you get to do better, and, and you get to impart to your children at 35 what you didn't know when you were 25, but your grandchildren should be escaping some of that brokenness. Maybe you never knew how to play in the floor with your children. Learn it with your grandchildren. Teach your children to do it. Just because you're 50 or 60 or 70 does not mean you're beyond the reach of the Holy Spirit to turn in you and to change you into something else. And it'll be okay with your kids when they're in shock. Who are you and what is this? Listen, I, I, let me tell you, give yourself liberty to not to have to have had life figured out by 40. You know what? It's okay if you didn't know it all at 40. God forbid we should keep learning at 40, 50, 60, 70, and 80. I remember I was in prayer one day and the Lord was showing me something. I realized how wrong I was in marriage and how wrong I was in some things. And I said to the Lord, I was in prayer and I said, Lord, just, just tell me what's going on. I don't want to be keep learning until I'm 80. Tell me now. And I realized, no, I do want to keep learning. Every single year I want to be closer and closer in clarity to who God is and what his revelation is and what his understanding is. So it's the, it's, when, when, it's the wrong perspective of God. We see him wrong, we see us wrong. And when we see him wrong and us wrong, every relationship we approach from a wrong way. But when we see him right, we see us right. And now marriage, singles, family, parents, children, it all shifts as we get a proper concept of who God is, not as revealed in the anger and the judgment and the wrath, 
but as revealed in Jesus, he says, look, I'm, the sin issue between God and man, I'm dealing with it right now. I'm here to introduce you to the way God would have revealed himself to Adam instead of the way God has revealed himself to this fallen sinful world. And you've got to figure out what you're carrying forth in every dimension of relationship of your life. Okay. Um, the story that you were saying about Lester Summerall, what he realized and understood was that those relationships in his life yeah. were the true riches were what made him a rich man. Yeah. There's no number in your bank account that you can have that would be greater than having a marriage made in heaven, having uh, peaceful relationships with your children. As they grow up and become adults, they don't have to want to spend time with you yeah. or they don't have to spend time with you. When they're in your house, Everybody goes on vacation together or out to dinner together. But once they're out of your house, it's up to them to want to call you up and go out with you or go out of town with you and come over and play cards or whatever. And if you have completely obliterated that relationship, once they get out of your house, they're not going to want to call you up on the weekend and see what you're doing. And like Mike was saying, there's grace. There's things that can be redeemed, not to walk in condemnation, Seek out God's wisdom. How can you repair things? You know, relook at things. Uh, it, it's never too late. We hear testimonies all, all the, time the time of people who said, I have not talked to my child or talked to a parent in 20 years. And something, you know, I heard a word or somebody said something and I called them up. And I understand that doesn't mean tomorrow everything's going to be, you know, sunny and, you know, all that. It may take time to repair things. But at least make that first step. At least, you know, or have the humility to, to say, okay, God, I can see where, where I may have had my part in this to mess this up. Or that uh, it's, there's my own fallibility. Yeah. That I'm not, it's not just the other person. It's just not my ex-husband or my ex-wife who was the problem. I understand there are issues, maybe abuse or whatever. But most times in a failed marriage, yeah. there's two people. A good marriage is made up of two people running after God, seeking God, and two good forgivers. Yeah. So yes, there's things that can be redeemed. Maybe your past marriage, you're not gonna get that back. But what you can salvage, have the humility yeah. and the wisdom you know, to ask God how you can um, fix that. Um, and then also, so those relationships closest to you, Mike was talking about, it's yeah. our faith in Jesus. Our faith in Jesus is where the love of God comes out of us. So we believe in God, <clears throat> excuse me, we believe in God, what he did through his son, <clears throat> all of that. And the result of that, the evidence of that, I'll take that, the evidence of that is the love of God flowing from us. So when he was talking, I was thinking, you thank need, you very you need much. To quit That's, you need to yeah, I should have laid off the marbles. <clears throat> I told you, not on Sunday, and definitely not before you preach on exactly. Sunday. Exactly. Yeah. Got that. So my point is that when you hear what he's talking about, it's our faith in Jesus, and the evidence of that is the love of God flowing through us. You can walk out and think, yeah, I need to be, you know, kinder to, you know, the person on my job or the person at the checkout line at the grocery store. And you start 
being real kind to them, opening doors for people, extending grace and, you know, uh, uh, you know, a coworker, you know, messed something up and it's okay, it's okay. But you don't extend that same grace to those closest in, to you and those living in your home, those that you're going to get in the car and drive home with. They should be the biggest beneficiaries of what Jesus has done in your life yes. and the love that comes pouring out of you. So it's not an either or, okay, I can be nice to the people outside my house or the people inside my house. It's a both and. Yeah. But don't overlook. So many times people think that they can overlook because they, they feel like, well, there's a familiarity between us. And if I don't, if I'm not as kind or I'm uh, curt or short with my kids or my spouse or my mom, it's okay because they can look past that. No, they should be the biggest beneficiaries. Yes. And there was a thing, um, uh, Mike always says that there's a situation that happened where um, I was working, I think, at the table, and something fell on the ground. I said, hey, Mike, pick that up. And he said, you know, sure, no problem. He did it. And I paused to say, wait a second. Can you please pick that up? And thank you for picking that up. Because I think we can lose our manners. We think the people that are in our household, they, they don't deserve the please and thank yous. It's, you know, you use ma'am and sir, you know, to your waiter or whatever you should be, you know, and thank you and using your manners. But that doesn't mean the people in your house should not be the beneficiary. Your kids should see you and feel that you give them respect. Yeah. Yes, there's a, an order, you know, that they sure. have to, you know, you're the parent and they have to follow and when you're in, they're in your house and, you know, obeying them, moving on to honor, all of that. But that doesn't mean just because they're supposed to respect me, their mom or their dad, that they, that I should not extend that respect to them as a human being. Big you know, stuff. sometimes, you know, I know for me, big stuff, organization and things, if you see, I got stacks and piles and how I can find anything is just amazing. And I get so frustrated with myself, like I am going to get this cleaned up. And Mike has a joke because he says, I have covered every flat surface in our house, every table, every shelf, on the ground. I mean, wherever it is, if I can find something if, to put on it, you, it's going to be covered. You go into our bedroom, there's a nightstand and a nightstand. <laughs> she has piles on both nightstands. By our television, there's a nightstand and a dresser. She has piles on the dresser. A gift somebody sent us from our old church was a massage table and says, we know you guys teach on marriage. We know you guys like to have mommy and daddy time. I bought you a massage table. It's great. I set up the massage table. I came home. The entire massage table had stacks. I said, I this, is, going this, on. this is not the purpose of it. I, and two things, two things. I'm sorry. Uh -huh. You brought it up. You brought it up. <laughs> two things. Uh, please don't lose no, your point. No, okay. Um, two things. Uh, I don't care. I don't care. Does, who cares? Um, my, my marriage is, she's not my employee. She's not my child. <coughs> my, my job is not to train her or teach her. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> the cigars you had last it's night cooties. are kicking in. <laughs> is this even safe to drink after? I don't even know what they're doing. People must think, what did you guys do? Hmm, <laughs> mm, that was sweet. It was yeah, sweet water. See? I like that. Um, and so the second thing is, the first thing is I don't care. The second thing is, she's not going to change. And she keeps talking about, Mike, I swear I'm going to get better. Baby, you're I not. I drive myself. You're not. <laughs> and I don't care. Every human being, and this is for all you single people, 
Everybody has strengths and weaknesses. We get wrongly told, fix your weaknesses. Dumb. Learn to do damage control and manage your weaknesses, but concentrate on your strengths. A person who's a two in organization, you might, with, with mm -hmm. intervention, an old priest, a young <laughs> priest, and some olive oil, get them from a level two to a level four. But a person who's a, person who's a, 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 a level six on detail-mindedness, you might get them to an eight. But stressing yourself out that the four is not a 10, you're just gonna keep going around the same merit mountain. And if you're single, it's a big thing you have to accept. You're as screwed up <laughs> as all the people you think are not good enough to marry you. We just haven't seen your manifestation of brokenness yet. Mm. How do I know? Because you all came from your father's house and your father's house came from his father's house mm -hmm. and her father's house and his father's house and we all came from Adam and Adam brought his children in forth in brokenness and dysfunction and they were given cards and played the best cards that they had who played the best cards that they had and you were raised by people who played the best cards that they had and, and realizing your parents are flawed doesn't make you a hero. That's easy mm. to figure out. You can figure that out by 15. Man, my parents are screwed up. That doesn't make you a hero. What makes you a hero is the revelation of where you're flawed and you need grace because, because at, 20 you just, at 20 you just know everything. At 30 you're sure you know everything. At 40 you realize I don't know that much and at 60 you go, man, I'm an idiot. <laughs> And your kids are mad for what you did, not realizing that maybe you did what you did because it was the cards you were handed and not realizing that grandpa, the dad, and the son all need to go to God and the Holy Spirit and his grace and learn a new way. Why? Because, because the idea that, oh my gosh, my parents were so messed up and look what they've done to me. Baby, it is the fallen world that we live in. But thank God, no matter how messed up your, your natural father's house was, your heavenly father's house has new information and new revelation and new ways to show you how to be a new uh -huh. thing. So, so that's it. So Connie is not changing. And I don't care. It doesn't, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Mike, I'm so sorry. I don't care. She doesn't know where her keys are. I don't care. She doesn't know where her phone is. I don't care. She wakes up and it's not charged. I don't care. She, she loses her keys, and then I go to find mine. I said, where are my keys? She said, I couldn't find mine, so I grabbed yours. Where are mine? I don't know. You've lost yours <laughs> and mine? Now, in all honesty, in all honesty, we've been married at, at our 17-year marriage mark. She finally, finally, after 17 years of marriage, every, every other time we'll put the keys back where they go. Every other time is a miracle. I got her from a two to a five. I'm trying for care. a seven at least. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> When I come down, I used to come down and see her phone not charged, and I'm like, and I would leave it on the counter. I said, she forgot her phone charge again. She's gonna be up in the morning trying to figure it out, and I'm gonna say, see if you just learned. Then I realized she's not my teenage son. My job is not to teach her a lesson. My job is to cover. So she'll wake up and she'll say, oh, you put my phone on the charger. Of course, baby, we cover each other. Of course I am. I'm not, I'm not, trying, to, I'm not trying to grow you up. You're a grown woman with two children who co-runs a house, a ministry, and a global. You, you are my equal. You're not my, you're not my, you're, you're who I serve, not who I teach and train. Amen. And, and, and for a long time, Connie did all the laundry. For a long time, Connie did all the laundry. And the laundry got washed and taken out of the dryer, but it got left in the, in the laundry basket. Now I sent out, for a long time, I sent out all my shirts, all my shorts, all that stuff, we'd send them to the place. 
but socks and they're wearing the things. And, and it was like, the, if you want to clean socks, find that basket. <laughs> and one day on a whim, she put things away, but I didn't know. I went to the basket, there was no socks. I said, where are the socks? She said, have you checked the drawer? I said, why would they be in the drawer? She said, because <laughs> for the first time in 15 years, I put them in the drawer. But now we do laundry all the time. She says, I, I come by and I see laundry. I don't walk by like it's the laundry fairy's job. Oh, that needs to be folded. And, I and it's the same way with our children. Our children do not look at adults and learn how to adult by watching queens and kings bark out orders. When we sit down at the table and I don't have something to drink, I say, I'm going to get some water. Olivia, what would you like? Uh, some water would be good. Mikey, you want anything? Water. And they learn. When Connie sits down, I say, hey, get mom something to drink. Never mind, I'll get it. And, and I'm going down to get a soda. Would you like a soda? Why? Because we're raising them with a sense of community, not that we're raising people to sit on a throne in their own home. Okay, I'm going to have my point. Oh, so I do a lot of awesome things. I know yeah. it sounds like, man, she is really oh, screwed up. A lot. No, no, no. Because <laughs> I am. <laughs> no, no, wait, wait, stop, stop, stop. She, she, when I met her, she had her own house, her own car, her own business, no debt, uh, successful in every way that she has. She has it all together. And that's what I'm saying. I finally realized, I think we were, we were I was fussing over your driving one day. Yeah. I was like, watch out, watch the line, watch this, blah, 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 blah. and watch it, oh my gosh, and I'm hitting a fake break and all that stuff that's not in the thing, what are you doing? And she's like, you know what, somehow I made it to 28. Nobody's hurt, I'm, I'm okay, and I was like, realize, back off her. You could almost hear Jesus, how they would hassle women in the New Testament, and Jesus would say, leave her alone, leave her alone. And I, and I, and I questioned her so much because her ways were different than my ways that I undermined her confidence. She came to me one day, she said, should I go to Walmart and then pick up the kids or should I pick up the kids and go to Walmart? I'm like, you're a college graduate, millionaire, you tell me. And I realized I had engineered, when she came home with the kids and had to Walmart, I said, well, what'd you do? She said, well, I went to Walmart and picked up the kids. I said, well, you know, it'd have been easier if you'd picked up the kids first and went to Walmart. My questioning and my seeing it differently undermined her ability to have confidence in her own self. She started asking me, uh, uh, green beans or peas? And I'm like, I don't care. Well, just tell me which one you want. I don't know which one you want. It doesn't matter which one you want. And I realized I had engineered a person who had lost all of their confidence to make the simplest decisions. And I had to realize she's a brilliant, capable, was doing fine before she ever met me person. <laughs> and listen, you've not heard all my dysfunction. You've not even heard all my stuff and freaking out and going off here. Listen, it's a good thing. It's a good thing she's detail-minded and, and just cool because I'm all big picture and flailing everywhere like a hamster with no wheel. <laughs> if we were both like that, we would be in trouble. Okay, I really am done. Okay. I'm not saying else. My whole point was I've got my stacks. You weren't no, awesome. No, people know you're awesome. All right. So my whole point is I know I got these stacks and everything, but you know what it's like. Now, one thing that happens in our house, I would say 99.999% of the time, dishes get done. It's not like, oh, we'll get them in the morning or you do, you know, uh, have dishes from breakfast still there at dinner. Dishes just, they get done in our house. It's, it, it just happens like that. And both of us do the most dishes. Yeah. So how is that possible? She's convinced she never stops doing dishes, and I'm convinced I never stop doing dishes. There is a dish devil in our house. <laughs> I'll come in, I'll say, I'll do all these dishes. She says, babe, I was going to get those. I had no problem, I'll do them. She said, well, I did them this morning. I was like, there's no dishes here. She's like, no, it was, I did it this morning, and this. I'm like, who is, where are these little gremlins of dishes? I'll tell you the little gremlins. Oh, they sit in the back over there. I'll tell you the little gremlins. All right, anyway. Uh, but we, we are, I'm a master dish doer. 
of dish dudum. He is. So that's the one thing we do. Yes. We make sure the, the, yeah. this kitchen stays clean. So my whole point is, you know how it is, you're tired, and you say, I'll get to it tomorrow, and you leave you know, all your papers out or whatever. It's big, big, big what you're getting ready to say. But sometimes we don't pass that grace and that understanding of, it's been a long day and I'm tired, and I'll just put it, you know, get it tomorrow. But with our kids, it is like they are, you know, under our thumb, you are gonna get your room cleaned up today, you're not gonna, you know, leave. And we, we don't give them grace to think, you've been in school all day, you, you know, you had practice after, uh, what, you know, after school, you came home, you did your homework, and we harp on them like they haven't been doing things all day, like they don't get tired, like they don't have a bad day. You know, emotionally, and this is, you know, we have an 11-year-old and a 14-year-old, and one thing I'm learning is, that emotionally, I wanna say, get yourself together. And sometimes you have to tell them, get yourself together, don't, don't have a meltdown. But they have feelings, they have hurts, they have, you know, someone said something to me and it bothered me. And we don't extend that grace to them to be a person with feelings, a person who, you know, is, is tired or had mm -hmm. a rough day. <clears throat> and so, grace-based parenting we have to extend that respect, that grace, and understanding that just because <clears throat> they are our children, they're, you know, like Mike said, we're a community. How can I help them? I know, you know, and one thing I do this with my kids a lot. They both, you know, we have the dishwasher, we wash the dishes, it's their job to empty it. If we have things that we wash by hand, they put them away. And they fuss them, you know, with each other. You didn't do this, you made me do more, whatever. But my daughter will be working on a project and it, you know, it's getting close to dinner time and I'm trying to get the dishes empty and I tell her brother, hey, why don't you go ahead and do it and let her keep working on her thing or I know he has something that he's trying to get. And, and so we try to help each other out because if you raise people with a community mindedness and with a, we're a family, we're trying to remove burdens for each other versus you're gonna serve me what are we teaching them? We're not raising kids, we're this raising adults. We're, yeah. raising, we're raising future husbands, we're raising future wives, future moms, dads, and how we're raising them is what they're gonna carry forward or it's gonna be so dysfunctional. Sometimes they, things are so dysfunctional, they go from one end of dis dysfunction to another end of dysfunction. That's it. That's it. My parents were like this and I'm not gonna be that way and they pendulum all the way over here. Yeah, my parents fought all the time and they get married and will never communicate. And the husband says, hey, we should talk about this. I don't wanna talk about it. Why, my parents fought all the time. This is not fighting, it's communicating. But sometimes the opposite of dysfunction is dysfunction. Mm -hmm. So you, you, did, you didn't like the way they fought, so you shut down. You're, you, you went out of the pot into the frying pan or whatever it is, you went out of the firing pan into the fire. You, you, not talking is not, well, everybody yelled in my house, so I, I did quiet. Mm -hmm. Silent treatment is not, the answer to screaming. Calm, rational communication is the answer to screaming. Mm -hmm. We say, well, I'm, I'm not gonna fight. I'm not gonna be like my parents. You're not, you're creating a new dysfunction. And guess what? Your kids will watch you in silent and cold freeze everybody out and they'll grow up to say, oh, we're gonna talk about this. It's not gonna be like it was in my house. And we keep reacting to dysfunction with more dysfunction. And yet Christ is sitting here, the Holy Spirit is sitting here to teach us. Thank God for pastors that will just pause and have a Sunday like this, that while we're trying to reach the whole world, we're not losing our homes while we're trying to thank God for a place where you can just come and learn a different way. Go ahead, babe, I'm sorry. And our kids should be part of what we're doing. 
Yeah. Sometimes we get in the church are guilty of this complete separation that kids, you know, Mike and I go off and do what we're doing. We're preaching, we're teaching, we're doing this, we're doing that. We have raised our children as much as possible to be a part of what we have going on. So when they, so, so they feel a part of it, not this, that's what my mom and dad do, but that's what we do as a family. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, uh, we can drag our kids to church, but how can we get them involved? How can this be something that they can have ownership as well? They're going to get to a point, if you have young kids, they're going to get to a point when they're 15, 17, 20, 24, where they have to make a decision Am I serving God for me or am I just doing what my parents did? Because if it's only because of what my parents were doing, they're going to get to 18, 20, 25 and not have anything to hold on for themselves. So, and God's going to have to show up and be real to them. And so it's what we're doing as a family. It's what we're doing because we realize the vitalness of this time that we have with them. Short time. If you have grown kids, you know how quickly this goes. My daughter's in her middle of her uh, ninth grade year. She's three and a half years from graduating. Now, we've homeschooled the whole time. And when, when I had her in kindergarten homeschooling her, you think, man, this is going to be forever. I'm three and a half years out, and I think of all the things that, man, I wish we would have done this. I would. And that's another thing. As parents, we have to extend ourselves grace. Yes, because more than likely, yes, I'm talking about in the parentheses of normal. Because yes, outside of it, there's neglect, there's abuse. I'm, not ta- I'm talking about in the parentheses of normal. More than likely, you're doing a great job as a parent. You see your faults, your shortcomings, what I wish I would have done differently, how I could have been better, what I, you know. Uh, and I look back over the last, you know, 14 years, and I think, man, I wish I would have done this, or we did these field trips, or, you know, I wish I had more time to do this with them. But what I have to do is look, and Mike is good about helping me, but you did do the field trips. You did go to the library. You did read the books. You did do this. You know, we did take the family vacations because we can be our own biggest critic of, because there's always something more to do. Yeah, and You can always do something better. It can always be greater. Better is impossible to satisfy. Could it have been better? When can you... When can you never answer no? Could, could I have done better as a husband? Yeah. Could I have done better as a pastor? Yeah. Could I have done better as a son? My mom just passed in December. I look back, I, I purpose to be a son of the awesomest son on planet Earth. I mean, to honor my parents, to bless them, to serve them, to, to you know, I, I, and, and, I, and I tried. You know, my mom called me over and we went and sat and she, she said, this is just weeks before she passed, she said, is there anything you need to hear from me? I said, no, ma'am. Is there anything you need to hear from me? She said, no. I said, mom, I love you. She says, is there anything I, you need to settle with me or whatever? I said, you gave me more. What could a little guy ask for than the love that you gave me? But it's not important to look back on what she gave me. Did I, did I honor her? Could I have done better as a son? Yes. Better is impossible to satisfy but to knowing that we're aiming our hearts to, to flow with the Father and to express that love and that wisdom and, the, and to have our children and parents. I mean, this is, this is the best that we can do. So as you learn this, you should not feel covered in shame. You should feel like, you know, I see where I, I, see where I played some cards wrong. 
I, only thing I can do is, is say, God, th through your love, I, I can do better from now on. And again, children hearing this, or you ought not be hearing this information thinking about you're so glad the person next to you is hearing it. I'm so glad my dad's hearing this. I'm so glad my mom's hearing this. I'm so glad my wife's hearing this. I'm so you're missing the point. You're, you're, gonna miss, you're gonna miss the entire hour of what the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to you. Mm -hmm. yeah. Go ahead, and then we need to, we're gonna shift gears in a second when, yep. you, when you're done. Okay, let me just share this. If we can pull up 1 Corinthians 15, 10, and I'm gonna mm -hmm. look at this. Uh, we'll start in the King James, and then I'll do the... trying to debate just for sake of time. I'll do the amplified. So 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. In our relationships, we have to view ourselves as that. Yeah. First of all, we have to remove all self-righteousness, that it's anything that has to do with me. Yeah. It is by the grace of God that I am the wife that I am. Yeah. It's by the grace of God that I'm the daughter that I am, the mom that I am, the friend that I am. It's by his grace, because without him, I'm nothing. But that does not mean that we just sit back and say, God's got this, because I have a part in it too. I, I have to make a decision to walk in love. I have to make a decision to walk in forgiveness. I have to make a decision to be kind, to respond properly. So we have to remove self-righteousness because it's by God's grace, not by what we do. So we can't sit and think we're awesome because without God, we're nothing. But then also we have to do our part. And so as a mom, as a husband, as you know, whatever role you're playing, we have to see this, that it's by God's grace. In the Amplified it says, but by the grace, the unmerited favor and blessing of God, I am what I am and his grace towards me was not found to be for nothing, fruitless and without effect. In fact, I worked harder than all of them, the apostles, though it was not really I, but the grace of God, the unmerited favor and blessing of God, which was with me. So I encourage you today, you don't have to walk in condemnation. You don't have to walk in shame. You have to humble yourself under God's word, under his instruction, and walk out what you know he wants you to do, mm -hmm. the person he wants you to be. And it starts with where you were, we were saying at the beginning. It's the love that flows out of you. That's the cornerstone. Yeah, and you know who I found the people that have the most difficult time extending grace? The people that don't understand how much they need grace themselves. Mm -hmm. It's self-righteousness. Okay, no, I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as. That's self-righteousness. How many of you ever flown Southwest Airlines? Mm -hmm. ever flown Southwest Airlines? Hold your hand up high. Okay, three of you, six of you, nine. We gotta get out more. All right, okay. <laughs> Southwest Airlines, they don't give you seats on a plane. They give you groups. You, you do the best you can to get in group A. Because if you're A1 through three, four, five, six, A20, A30, that's how you get on the plane. They say person A1, and you walk into an empty plane and start picking a seat. A30 gets on, and man, oh, they got the aisle seat. Oh, man, they got the window seat. Oh, they got the exit. Man, oh, and you're fine. If you're in group C, <laughs> God does not like you. He, uh, God is this. You have sinned against, I don't know what you've done, but I don't, I don't, I'm concerned with even flying with you, honestly. No. Why? You get in group C, it's all middle seats between two sumo wrestlers. That's all that's left. 
But that's how we treat the church. So when they say, uh, 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 Southwest Airlines now boarding flight 5152 to Las Vegas, 5152 to Las Vegas, we're gonna begin our boarding at this time. If group A would line up, group A one through 30 on the left side, group B, uh, group A 31 through 60 on the uh, right side, we'll begin boarding in just a minute. And you know what you do? You take your little ticket and I'm A22. And I'm saying, what, what are you, A20, A20, or I'm back, or, you know, you're, uh, you know, like A12, I'm back here. It's like, what are you, oh, A36, okay. And, and I'm trying to find where I rank. That's right. Well, I'm not as close as he is. I'm certainly doing better than this dude right here. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in Christ, let me tell you, let me tell you about that. Only, there's only one seat on this plane. It's A1. It's perfection. It's flawlessness. And only Jesus qualifies to get on the plane. And here you and I are arguing about who's the best sinner in hell. <laughs> yeah, I did this, but I know, I'm not, I know I'm not an A1, but I'm certainly not an A60. Listen to me. Remember Jesus taught that thing and he says, look, he said, two people owed me money. One guy owed me 50 bucks, one guy owed me 500. But neither guy had a dime. Guess what? You're both going to prison. Why? Uh, man, I only owe you 50 bucks. How much do you have? Zero. How much do you have? You're both going to be riding on the bus to prison. How much do you owe? 500. How much? You're both in jail. Well, at least I'm not. You're in the same jail. And when you get rid of your self-righteousness, I don't need grace. Or maybe I need it, but not like, not like when you get rid of that. When you, when you get rid of that, you'll accept the grace God has to you. And you'll release that grace to, and again, to mom, dad, to husbands, wives, and all this other kind of stuff. Now, uh, I want to, let's done. shift gears here. Okay, so, so I want to talk to the unmarrieds here for a minute. Because the church has really messed up um, singleness. Because you made it so complicated. Church people don't know how to be real. They don't know how to have regular conversation. There's all this stuff. Should a guy walk up to a girl? Should a girl walk up to a guy? My Bible says the man finds a wife. And all. Just stop, just stop, stop, stop. Not everything needs a Hebrew original language. <laughs> the problem is we're getting trained by the world, trained by social media, trained in brokenness, and we get conditioned to brokenness. Social media has made us the most informed generation in the history of mankind and the most ignorant people on planet Earth. Know everything you can know about this meme, that meme, this thing, that thing, this article, that article, this movement, that movement, hashtag this, hashtag that, hashtag everything, but cannot dwell with another human for more than six months at a time. And you've got to step away, realize your own imperfection. Stop playing the game by the world's system and deal with truth who are you? And a lot of us don't even know who we are, so we don't know how to present who we are. We've taken away the magic of love. We've taken away the magic of love at first sight does happen. Sometimes you see somebody. Sometimes a person hooks you up with somebody, and, and somebody you know knows someone you know who knows someone you know. And you got to understand that sometimes God works through your social network. I'm not talking about your Instagram. I'm talking about the covenant people in your life who know you. Back in 1998, 99, they came to me uh, 
and, and said, Minister Mike, I was walking down the hall at church. Have you, have you ever seen this new girl at the church, Connie? I said, no, I don't know anybody about Connie. And they said, well, she was in our fashion show. And uh, she did the uh, swimsuit modeling in our fashion show. And I was like, okay, what, why are you telling me this? They said, here, look at the pictures. For, what a single Christian man needs to look at somebody in a, ba- a bikini in a fashion show. <laughs> now, Connie, you know, we, we've had a few snacks between here and there. And, and uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not exactly at my fight and weight. And, and uh, she's not quite at her bikini weight. But she still does have abs. But when they showed me this picture, she had like an eight-pack cut up, all cut and Vs and stuff. And just and then and she, she was all, you know, kind of business and then kind of drama, you know, kind of a, a whole bunch of stuff going on. And, uh, but I wasn't interested in getting married, so I looked at the pictures, and I was like, I don't date. I don't care, and went on about my business. They said, okay, well, she's real nice. A couple months after that, I was in the back in Pastor Ellen's office. His sister comes in, Mikey Mike, yeah, um, uh, there's a girl over in children's ministry who's my daughter's teacher. Have you ever met her? Her name is Connie. I said, no. She said, well, she's real sweet and she's real nice. And, uh, you know, uh, I just thought somebody you should meet. I said, I'm not interested in meeting anybody. I don't care about meeting anybody. And she said, are you sure? She said, she you know, you got a real cute tushy. I'm like, what, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> Who tells a single Christian man, have you seen the girl in children's ministries? But who does that to a Christian man? I'm not even kidding. No, this, is, this, is, this is a true story. So a couple months later after that, this is the year 2000, so it's a year later, I'm sitting in the office. Pastor Dollar's preaching. I'm doing work, paperwork and contracts and all that. I'm sitting in the back with Pastor Taffy. He's on the screen. He's talking. We've been meeting. We stop. We watch the service. In the middle of service, Pastor Taffy says, Mike, you ever going to get married? I said, ma'am, I said, I do enough counseling at this church for married couples to know that's the worst idea on planet Earth. I am <laughs> never getting married. Have you heard some of the marriage counseling we have? No, I'm never getting married. She says, oh, okay, well. I met a real sweet girl on the church cruise. I thought, oh, here it comes. She said, she said her name is Connie. She played volleyball with this real cute, real nice girl, real good with kids and everything else. I said, yeah. I said, okay. I said, no. I said, I, I, no, thank you. I'm just honestly, I feel like serving you and your husband is my thing now. I'm not really interested in relationships. She said, okay, that's fine. She said, looks real good in a bikini. I'll tell you that. And I'm like, for the love of God, for the love of God. Uh, four months later, I'm out to dinner with my best friend. He and I would go to dinner once or twice, uh, once or twice a month. And uh, he's sitting there, he says, he says uh, Tyler, he calls me by my middle name. He says, Tyler. I said, yeah. He said, uh, man, there's a girl on my softball team. I said, let me guess, her name is Connie? <laughs> he, says, he says, you know her? I said, no, I don't know her. I said, but everybody's... He said, man, she's real cool. She's one of the most down-to-earth, real cool people you ever meet. He says, I don't know, I was just thinking about it for you. I said, Andre, you know I am not. He says, no problem, no problem. But for the first time, he didn't say anything about a bathing suit or whatever else. He said, man, she, he and I like fashion a lot. He said, man, she looked good in Ralph Lauren. He said, she's got that, that, that Ralph kind of feel uh, to her. And I said, okay. And I said, I'm not interested. So I thought, okay, this is the fourth. So I knew she was on the softball team. And I decided I'm going to go up to softball practice the following week and find out who this girl is that's paying all these people that know me to come and... uh... So sure enough, I pull up, and as I pull up to the softball practice, nobody knew I was coming, practice was ending. I'm on a sidewalk, I start walking, and I see in the distance, I said, I think that's that girl, that's that girl. So I said, well, we're gonna see you right now. So I walk up, and she walks up, and she goes, hi, bye, and walks, gets in the car, and leaves. And I thought, I don't know what these people do. This girl has no interest in me. I'm going back to where I was. Just not going to do this anymore. So a couple weeks later, I'm preaching. I've not seen this girl in person in the whole four years she's been at the church. Never seen her in person. This girl's on the front row 
while I'm preaching, I said, you devil from hell. <laughs> I was in the World Dome doing Bible study. I was in the World Dome doing Bible study, and she was sitting on the front row, and I thought, I'm not scared of you, Satan, get behind me. I walked down, and she had her Bible on her lap, and I was preaching, I said, da-da-da, and I went right in her Bible on her lap, and I said, that's why you don't do things that are not in order with what God's Word says. I was telling her right now, back up, woman, back up. <laughs> About a month after that, Pastor Dollar's got to fly out of town, out of the country. He says, Mike, I'm done. Finish the altar call. Go. So he goes and leaves, and I grab the microphone and say, if you're here, not born again. And as I'm talking, on this side over here, about four or five rows back, there's a girl sitting, and there's a gold light on this girl. I couldn't see from the TV lights. I thought, what in the world is this? I said, this is crazy. So I finally said to myself, okay, God, maybe you are saying something. It has nothing to do with whoever this Connie girl is. But maybe me, who always wanted to be like, Paul, God, if you want me to be open to the idea of marriage, I will. And I told my assistant that. I said, I, said, I don't think it's this Connie girl. I said, I think maybe God just wants me to be open to the idea of marriage. And my assistant looked at me. She said, you are the most anointed stupid man I've ever met in my entire life. She said, are you serious right now? And so that we ended the year 2000. And I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't get her out of my mind. So I was sitting down front on a Sunday. Turns out she was in the row right behind me. I said, all right, we're getting ready to see. And I said, I'm just going to turn and say, hi, my name is Mike. What, you know, and I, I'm on the front row. Pastor Dollar says, God bless you. Have a great week. I stand up to turn to talk to her, and a person grabs my arm and pulls me. Minister Mike, I need counseling. I need counseling. Uh, my cat, you need to raise him from the dead. And, and, uh, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm watching. I'm talking. I said, okay, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. What's his name? How long has he been dead? By this time he stinketh. And I'm going through all that kind of thing. And I'm watching Connie put on gloves and walk out the door. So then I went on Monday and started making phone calls. I called the fashion show people. Uh, how, how do I get a hold of her? I don't know. I called Pastor Dollar's sister. Uh, what, where, where is she? What, is she married? She said, I don't know. I said, how are you going to recommend somebody? <laughs> you don't know. No one knew. So I called my friend Andre. I said, I said, hey, uh, call her and see if I can call her. Find her on the softball roster and call her. He said, okay, I will. I called him back an hour later. I said, what'd she say? He said, dude, I'm at work on a ladder. I haven't called her. Relax. I will call her. So Wednesday night Bible study, he finds her, tells her, call him. She goes home, calls him. 11 o'clock at night, I get a phone call. I'm like, what'd she say? What'd she say? What'd she say? He said, just relax. I said, no, what'd she say? She said, look, he said, I want to talk to you. I know you're busy. I know you work all the time. You travel all the time. This is not a business deal. This is a human being. You can't turn this on and turn this off. This is a human being. I said, I don't need the lecture, Dad. What did she say? He said, she said, you could call her. I said, you're not telling me nothing. Like, oh, yeah, I guess okay. Or like, yeah, call me. He said to me this. He said, man, I'm telling you. I think this is it. What in the world? So that was on a Wednesday. I go to a movie. The next day, I figure I'd call Connie. I'm going to move with Pastor Dollar. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I call Connie. The voicemail comes. I'd never heard her voice before. I got nervous. I, I was expecting her to say, hi, I'm Connie. How you doing? I had no idea what she was going to sound like. And she's like, she's like, hello, this is Connie. Uh, she had a real deep voice, a professional voice on her thing. I hung up. I was scared. On the page, I was scared. I called back and said, hi, this is Mike from your church. I got your number from Andre. I was wondering if it would be okay if I call you. I'm going to be in a meeting for the next couple hours. Uh, but maybe, maybe you can call me. I'll be done at 9. So I'm in the movie. 8.59, no call. 9 o'clock, 9.01, 9.02, no call. 9.04, 9.05, 9.06, my phone rings. 
My phone rings in the theater. I open the phone. I say, hello. I say, yeah, I'm in a movie. Can I call you back? Sure, no problem. I call her back. I hang up the phone. And Pastor Dollar's sitting next to me. He goes, who was that? I said, that's that Connie girl I was telling you about. He said, what'd you tell her? I said, I told her I'd call her after the movie. He said, boy, you better get out of there and call that. What's wrong with you? <laughs> so, so I walk out and I, and I call and I said, hi. She said, is the movie over? I said, no. I said, uh, just, no, it's, it's still going. I said, I stepped out. Listen, this is going to sound really strange, but I wouldn't waste your time. I, I've never called a girl like this. I've never gone, I don't go through the church database trying to find women. I said, four years ago, three years ago, two years ago, last year, I don't know what it means. I saw you the other day. I was going to talk to you. got out of the way. I, I don't know what the mind of God is. I'm just telling you where I am right now. I don't know where I'll be in six weeks or six months. I don't know where I'll be. But if you're interested in maybe finding out if this might be the mind of God for us to talk and connect, then could I please maybe take you out sometime after church? And stunned silence on the phone. And then she says, did I put you on the spot? No, no, um. I was thinking about how you say you, that I thought you were crazy or whatever, that you thought yeah, that I was yeah. thinking you were crazy. I said, well, let me tell you a story. Several years ago at the <laughs> church, a person came up to me and said, I think you'd make a great wife for Minister Mike. Somebody else said, hey, I think that, you know, um, uh, that you and Minister Mike would be great together. Of course, I'm thinking, no way is that going to happen. Not because I was not interested, but because... How, this girl serving in the children's ministry and he's, you know, associate pastor at this church. And so I would have loved to have the opportunity to meet. And it sounds so weird because I told him after, later on, as we got to know each other, I said, I was on vacation with my family. This is where it gets stalker. Go ahead. No, I was on, we're all growing up, you know, and I've, well, that's my time. timing. Okay. Okay. Okay, we'll several, go I have several siblings. We were out on vacation across the country, and um, I thought we were getting in the minivan after seeing the Hoover Dam or whatever, and I said, do you know what would be so great? And I, in my mind, I always called him Minister Mike because that's how I knew. If he, he was here, because I didn't know when his birthday was, but I thought, we're pretty close in age, maybe a year or two apart, and just the kind of things that he would talk about when he was ministering that I think we would have similar interests. And he was really funny, which I really, you know, like to laugh and everything. Turns out I'm six days older than him. And all of these people, my friends used to make fun of me. They would say, oh, there goes your husband. And I never said anything about it because person, I did not want to. a person told you, I can introduce you. Yeah. They said, I can introduce you. They said, give me your picture or, you know, your phone number. And I said, no. I said, I know this man hears from God, and if it's of God, he will. And I don't mean to sound too spiritual and dumb deep and all that, but I was not gonna present myself. The story about the softball practice, I saw him, I would have loved to stop to talk to him, but I did not want to put myself out there in the sense of, hey, look at me, and you know, if I talk to him a little longer, maybe he'll be interested. So I just kind of kept doing what I was doing. I was serving in children's ministry, serving in this ministry, doing this, going soul winning, doing that. And I was busy about God. And when God brought us together, it was like things just clicked. I mean, we knew the night that we went out. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Okay. okay. Am I, so, I know we're out of time, but I was. So, so, so we're supposed to go out on Sunday. We agreed to go out on Sunday. And I said, good, after church on Sunday, I'll see you. I walk back in the theater. I sit back down. Pastor Dollar says, what did she say? I said, well, I told her this. And I'm whispering. I told her this. He told, she said that. I told her this. I told her this. I said, we'll see. And I look, and I can see from the screen, the reflection of the screen, tears are streaming down his face. And I put my hand on his knee. I said, are you okay? I said, what happened? He says, 
He said, I just know what it's like when God does these things. And I said, look, don't, don't count your chickens with a hatchet, all right? Uh, or whatever that saying is, you know what I'm saying, don't count your chickens with a hatchet. Um, this girl could be crazy. Let's just, this is one phone call. Let's not, let's not time to weep yet. So I got, take him back to his house, and he says to me, he said, I bet you 20 bucks you can't wait till Sunday to go out with her. I said, 